Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I'm excited to introduce you today to an amazing licensed educational and school psychologist, Dr. Jordana Levine. Hi, thanks for having me, Mara. It's so great to see you here. Um, so if you could share with our friends listening and watching um, a little bit about your background. Um, I have my doctorate in school and clinical psychology, and um, I got that, gosh, um, about 16, 17 years ago, and I have always loved working with children, and um, I've just done that, uh, I guess, my whole adult life, worked with children from kids with autism and um kids in hospitals and uh, kids in schools. And um, I, but, you know, as the years went on, I I ended up specializing in kids with uh, dyslexia, learning disorders and um, executive functioning issues and um, ADHD. Wow. So it's just something that you were drawn to. Yes. It was something I was always drawn to. So that is beautiful. And you're originally where from? Well, I was born in New York and I was pretty much raised in Massachusetts and, um, and my family and I moved from Connecticut and kind of a suburb of New York, um, about four or five years ago to California. And so here I am. Beautiful. And then that's where we met through a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Right? That's exactly. what talk children's amazing. Um, so gosh, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> and I know so many people out there have questions. Um, where do you want to start? dyslexia, ADHD, executive functioning? Oh my gosh. Um, Why don't we start with learning disorders, dyslexia? Awesome. Go for it. What can tell us everything and anything that a parent would want to know or need to know your guidance, your advice? Well, I think that the most important piece about dyslexia is that um, it should be a surprise in terms of you know, you have a typically developing kid who's bright and um, who seems to be able to keep up, but why can't they, you know, acquire letters and sounds? So it's a, it's a surprise that they, they're not reading well or reading fluently or understanding what they're reading or what they should be doing. And I think that's kind of a misconception about dyslexia in particular and learning disorders in general that um, people aren't smart that they're, they're, they're not good enough or that there's something wrong with them, that that's not true um, at all. Um, you can be dyslexic and be brilliant. You can have a math disorder and be brilliant. And actually, typically, um, what you see with kids and adults who have diagnosed learning disabilities or undiagnosed learning disabilities also is that they're super creative is that there is a major creative side to, um, to these kids and adults um, because they have to use other parts of their brain to, to um, 
to learn and it just, it, it just, things develop in different, in different ways. So, um, and then, you know, one thing about dyslexia, specifically dyslexia, which is also called a reading disorder. Um, and I think there is, there's more acceptance of dyslexia now, and there's actually more legislation in all of the states um, to incorporate dyslexia as a true disability. And, um, what, what they're finding, and there's lots of research going on and research um, in all places and schools and universities, but that, um, that if you have a first degree relative, you have a 50% chance, a, a first degree relative with dyslexia, you have a 50% chance of having dyslexia yourself. And so it's, it's, it, it's deeply genetic. It is, it is um, and, and I think that's important for parents to know that um, as their kids are developing, that if you yourself have a learning disability, um, your child has a very strong chance of having that and working on it early, like most things is the best solution and getting to it early. Um, so kids don't experience failure in school or feeling ostracized or um, just feeling unfortunately just dumb, um, which they're, you know, not. <laughs> So. No, and they have a superpower, which I love. And I always say, the greater the challenge, the greater the gift. Mm -hmm. What age, um, if it's a professional, what age would, can you generally, is it usually revealed? Um, obviously, if especially if it's a parent, their first child, they don't know anything. I mean, that to compare it to. Absolutely. So like, is this like something that the school will see and they'll talk to their parents about and, you know, for, to refer to us like, um, like someone like you? Well, you know, well, typically schools will refer within themselves to their own school psychologist. And I have worked in schools where that's, that's what um, I do. And there are different, um, different states have different rules about how they approach it. So it's really on a state by state basis in public school. And there's, there is a difference between a dyslexic kid in public school versus a dyslexic kid in an independent school setting. But um, typically, with some kinds of, you know, there are different kinds of dyslexia, but typically at a young age, um, kid, you know, I think one of the, the, the things that parents can know is that kids typically don't rhyme well. So they can't rhyme pig and dig or, you know, kind of on the spot or in games that it just kind of eludes them that they, you know, they don't hear the sounds the same way other people do. And that's kind of a red flag early on, you know, the, um, Preschools do rhyming games. They do, you know, during circle time, they do it in kindergarten. And, and that's kind of a first, uh, I, I believe it's like a first thing, you know, and, and kind of some other things like not being able to label your colors or remember your colors or remember the order of numbers. Those are all kind of swirling things could be this, it could be a learning dis disorder or it could not be. Kids develop at different times. And it, that's why a lot of schools as well as clinicians are very reluctant to diagnose young children. But it's important, um, those red flags, if they're persistent and they, the, the, the kid is not learning, the child is not learning those kind of building blocks and basics, that's when those red flags become, they should be more glaring. Um, um, and 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 I, I really believe the 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 rhyming one, <laughs> the rhyming one is a big one because it really goes into the sounds of dyslexia. 
And does that, oh my gosh, I could just imagine me years ago, like being this neurotic mother, like what rhymes with this? So is it literally asking your child what rhymes with pig? What rhymes Yeah, or like, you know how there are lots of games that they play where you're like need to, you you know, and sing songs, sometimes doing it in songs. And, And some kids are just stumped. They just don't hear it. And it's really surprising for a lot of adults to, to be like, oh my goodness, they really are stumped by this. They can't, you, you know, they, they don't hear or they don't see, or, I mean, or they, they just, it just mystifies them. So it's, you know, I think, yes, you could drill your kid and be like, what rhymes with cat? But I think, I think like kind of pulling out some songs and like doing like rhyming sentences and, and stuff like that, then you start really seeing at whether is the, child under the gun to rhyme or is it like is are they just organically not able to come up with that rhyme so if it's like hickory dickory dot the mouse run up the clock would a right. parent ask the teacher to repeat it or to read it which well I mean I, well it's like that becomes a song and so like hickory dickory dot the mouse ran up the clock and you say oh my goodness what else rhymes with clock or what else rhymes with, you know, doc, you know what I mean? And even if it's a made up word, you know, they can say pop or, you know, well, I keep on coming up with sock and, yeah, and exactly. you know, but like there are other things you, you know, once they, the teacher kind of teaches it and then the, you know, and then you try to, and they try to apply it to other things. Cause also students, students with learning disabilities are usually very good at recognizing where they're not, where they're deficient. So they will me- instantly memorize something like that because they, they don't want to be called out as, as, especially as they get older. So they memorize things and, and even though they don't understand the foundational aspect of it and kind of the, again, the organic way it, it should come out. Sure. And then what happens once a child is identified that it's um, hard to rhyme or might have dyslexia? What? Well, I mean, there are early dyslexia screenings available. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of the early dyslexia screening because oftentimes you can correct things, especially mild cases of dyslexia. You can really correct them early with reading pro in school reading programs, um, maybe an in-school, uh, what we like to call kind of like a double dose of the reading instruction. So they get it once in the day and then they get it a second time to reinforce it of the same reading program. It's not like a whole new, um, but that can help some kids so that they don't experience things. Um, it doesn't get worse, you know, and some yeah. of it is caught sometimes. And then um, some kids need much more intensive instruction and there are intensive and in, um there are um, tutoring programs, one-on-one tutoring programs, and there are um, that are you know systemic, systematic, and you know very direct instruction that have then they're multi-sensory instruction. So there's you know there's physical movement, there's there's touching, there's he- listening, there's reading. You know, so it's a and and it's a way it's a very well-known, well-researched um, programs out there. And there are, other one, there are other centers that kind of adopt those kind of multi-sensory programs and, and do good work. And that's just, you know, kind of teaching the, the mechanics of reading to read fluently and to read without pause and to be able to read for meaning, which is comprehension. To be able to, you know, that's one thing to just read. It's another thing to comprehend what you're reading and be able to ask questions about it. Um, 
And so there's that, that kind of like fluency and comprehension aspect of, 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 of reading. Right. And it's amazing. My husband's brother is dyslexic and he's a successful OBGYN. Absolutely. And and at his age also to be, you know, they didn't have tools then Mm -hmm. 40, 50 something years ago. So I, in his forties, like they do now. So, Mm -hmm. well, and I think that's one of the things is that uh, that highlights an example of how largely just, you know, individuals who are dyslexic have great strengths in other areas and they compensate for those, the, the, the deficits that they do have and find other ways. And there's been research to show and to highlight that your neural pathways change as, as people who are diagnosed with um, dyslexia, they use different parts of their brain than typical readers do. Um, And uh, to get to the same point, they have to use a different part of their brain. And that's well-documented. Right. And then, so some of the kids stay in their regular class versus going to a specialized class or a specialized school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, in, in many cases, um, a student with dyslexia is still able to learn history, is able to learn math and is able, you know, it has nothing to do with their intellect. It's really just kind of um, a bio, a neurobiological basis um, of it, their wiring. It's just not connecting in the way that it does for typical readers, you know, and I'm, I'm not a scholar on the history of neurobiology, but I I, I certainly do know that we're we're kind we're biologically wired to talk. We're not biologically wired to read. Um, wow. and, and that is a newer invention of the last few hundred years to read. We are wired to talk. So when there's a disconnect, it it, it you know it doesn't come as easily for some people. That is profound. I've never heard about that. And it makes me have so many questions, which I'm not even going to go into <laughs> now. Wow. You know, like the Bible was written 2000 years ago. If we're not supposed to read, why? Was well, it, it was originally spoken. It was, ori- you know, we have lots of oral histories and, you know, so, you know, oral history was the, the majority of the way we learned and people learn things. And, you know, you know, when you talk about like the printing press, it's what, I mean, again, I am not a scholar on this, yeah. but it's, you know, it's less than f- uh, 500 years ago that books started to be printed. I never knew that. I mean, and then you have the, um, which makes make sense though. Yeah. And, but then you have the 10 commandments that were written. My brain keeps going there. So I'm going right. to, no, no, it's okay. So, but it wasn't widely available. So that kind of thing was not sure. widely yeah. available. Not like just Google it on the internet. What, no, what were they? no, no. <laughs> that was not even um, an idea back then. Amazing. Wow. Um, okay. Anything else you want to share with us about dyslexia? To to parents, um, would they look for an I am IEP or five hundred four for their child? And also. Because some people might not know what that is. So if you want to explain what those are, and then if you recommend. Okay, well, Section 504 is part of the American with Disabilities Act, as far as, you know, if if I'm doing, saying everything correctly. And that's really for a medical diagnosis. And just, you know, having a learning disability isn't technically a medical diagnosis. However, having ADHD is a medical diagnosis. So many times, you know, we can get into talking about ADHD in a little bit, but many times students who have ADHD or even, um, 
you can, or, or on other, you know, um, other illnesses, if you have diabetes, you can have a section 504, you know, it, you know, other, other things. And, and, and those just provide accommodations to a child in the school setting. And you have to go through a meeting. It's a lot less intensive of a process because you really just need a note from your doctor stating you have diabetes or you have ADHD or whatever it is. And, and then you kind of go to a meeting with the teacher, with the 504 coordinator and, and the parent and you discuss what your child would need in the classroom um, and what the teacher sees, what the parents want. And, you know, hopefully everybody sees eye to eye on, on what the, what the child, what the, what, what was most beneficial for the child. And um, I would say mostly it's usually, um, it, it, it can be a very, um, you know, friendly process. Sometimes it does go awry, as I'm sure many people have friends or have experienced it themselves. But in general, that's, that's how that's what a 504 is. It's just to give accommodations, like, for example, for a child with ADHD, maybe in the younger grades, close proximity to the teacher, um, reminders, of you know, reminders of work that is coming up or um, maybe something visual, like, a, you know, something visual to that they know where the class is, you know, how the class is going to be broken down so that they have expectations. Sometimes it can be a timer to do your work, you know, that they, they're given a timer and they, some kids can set the timer themselves, some kids can't, you know, it just, it, it really depends on what the issue, what the issue is. Now, a little bit more intensive is called an individualized education plan, which is called an, which is, you know, short form is IEP. Now there's lots of um, legal, uh, because this is, um, it's a legal document and an IEP is a legal document. And so there are um, a lot of parameters that schools have to go through. And I'm, I'm not gonna, again, I, I, I'm not gonna go through every 60 days, 30 days, what the school's responsible for. But in general, um, a referral needs to be made to the school. And typically that has to be in writing, if not all the time has to be in writing, that they think that there is a learning disability or they suspect that something is going on um, with their child or the teacher can also refer to it within the school. Um, you hope in an ideal setting that the teacher and the parents or both parents are on the same page and are aware of what's going on, that there are issues and that they're on the same page to refer this child for testing, um, for psychoeducational testing in the, in the school. And in some cases, a parent might say, I don't want to do it in the school. I want to go to an outside an outside person. And that's an outside person like me who would be able to do the same, you know, the same plus more kind of testing. Or, um, you know, the, a parent could say, you know, in an independent school, that would be in a public school. In an independent school, they do not provide that, you know, IEP. You have to get an IEP from your homeschool district. Um, and again, an independent, as somebody in an independent school could also just go privately if they want, again, outside of the school system. And then they could bring that, um, those results to the district in both cases. Um, they can bring the outside results to the district. Um, and so then the, after the testing is done and, and, and um, what it looks like in a public school is typically um, the school psychologist will um, speak with the parents, speak with the teachers, interview parents and teachers, as well as ask them to fill out reading skills. Um, the school psychologist will usually 
hopefully go into the classroom and observe the student before they test the student so that um, they have some idea of how they perform or behave in the, in the classroom setting before they, um, before they actually do the testing. And then they do the testing for a psychoeducational evaluation, which entails um, an intelligence test or a cognitive test. Um, and then um, a teacher in the school system will do a, a special education teacher will do um, will complete uh, an academic test, some academic testing in the in the private in the private setting. Um, the psychologist will do the academic testing, and then there are other there are other kinds of testings that they can do, whether it's um, testing for ADHD or autism rating scales, trying to get a you know a bigger picture of what's going on with the student, and trying to get. Um, a better understanding of how they learn is really, you know, and what's, you know, and if there's no cognitive issues, which means they're age appropriate in terms of their ability to learn, what else is going on? Is there depression or is there anxiety? Or, you know, oftentimes there's also can be neglect in the family. There can be something else going on at home. There's, there's all these different things. And really, you know, what's the most important thing that I have seen is that in childhood, lots of disorders and lots of disabilities, their symptoms overlap. So mm. it's really important to have good, um, good people who are knowledgeable about those kinds of symptoms, because you can, you know, some symptoms of anxiety in children can look the same as ADHD inattentive style or hyperactive or hyperactive impulsive. So it's really important to have an understanding of how to tease out um, what the, what the diagnosis is, or really in schools, what is hindering access to typical education. And sometimes they find it and sometimes they don't. Um, and so, and, um, and sometimes maybe, you know, you want as a parent, you want the school to give your child the best testing, but legally sc public schools are only obligated to give what's fair and appropriate. And I think that's a bit, that becomes the bit, you know, parents are very intuitive about their kids. Most parents are, and they say, I know something's not right, even though the testing didn't show this. I know something, I know something's not right. And it goes on and on and on. And that's so, where a lot of the conflict comes at, yeah. at public school. And so I'm going to ask, don't answer it yet. So we gonna take a quick mm -hmm. break. Um, okay. And then we're going to come back and ask, of course, like I always like to do, what would you recommend? What would you do for your child? Would you have public versus mm -hmm. private take into account money? Um, mm -hmm. but, and then of course we'll get into uh, one of my, I don't know if it's my favorite topics, but ADHD. So mm -hmm. hold on everybody. And we'll be right back. <laughs> In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. 
Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and today we have an amazing licensed educational and school psychologist, Dr. Jordana Levine. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. We, it's our pleasure. Um, and I'm glad that you moved. Uh, not that you followed me because we didn't know each other on the East Coast, but uh, <laughs> it's so good to have an East Coaster out here with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question I left us off off with before was about testing for dyslexia. And I know that this is really touchy because some people can afford things and some couldn't. My favorite question, so my husband's patients always ask him as an OBGYN, what would you do for your daughter? What would you do for your wife? So uh, Dr. Jordana, what would you do if you saw something for your kids or your nephew or niece, what would you recommend they do for the testing, where to go and you know, are the schools good enough? Well, yes, I understand that. And I, I, I think um, like in many parts of public education, our teachers, our support staff, our administration and um, our special educators and those are, are, are taxed, you know, that is, that is what it, what it is. And, and again, I just want to, I want to remind everybody that, you know, our schools are legally bound to do free and appropriate education. Um, it's, it's, which is not the best. And you have to keep that in mind. They're whatever's appropriate. And that means appropriate that applies to a broad swath of, of children. Now, um, I think as parents, you have a right to get involved in your child's testing and understand in the public school. There are wonderful school psychologists and speech therapists and occupational therapists that work in the public school system. Wonder, I've worked with wonderful, wonderful ones. Um, however, I think you know they see a lot, a lot of children, and I think trying to be as involved in the process and understand and have them walk you through it. You're allowed to ask questions as a parent. You're allowed to understand. Why are you referring my child for speech and language testing? Because oftentimes kids with um, who might not be reading can have an underlying language disorder. Um, they can have, the, and so oftentimes an initial evaluation in the elementary school age, um, uh, you will have a speech and language evaluation as part of a full psychoeducational battery. And I think that's the thing is trying to understand how broad they're taking their initial evaluation of your child and understand and ask why don't be, ashamed, don't be ashamed to ask, why are you doing this? You know, this is your child. They're doing testing on your child. And so um, I think there's lots of 
times where you can absolutely trust the process as long as you feel like there's that reciprocity and as long as you feel like there's that respect you know between the institution that you're dealing with as and your family um and i think that's really really the most important so depending and 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 different schools have different levels of that respect and that um deep testing does does that make sense um, Absolutely. So yeah. if it were my child, I think it also depends on the issue. Their schools are very well equipped to deal with reading disorders and they're well equipped to deal with a lots of special um, special education um, aspects of, of special education. But, you know, you want to make sure that you're seeing progress. You want to make sure that your child is learning and that um specifically after testing, if they are found to be part of special education, which is not a dirty word, I have to very much say that special education is not a dirty word. I'm going to give you a little anecdote and a little bit about special education, but, but, um, you know, you want to make sure that they're learning at the same pace as other students with the help that they get in the school. And when that pace starts to fall off, or if that pace of learning starts to fall off, then that kind of tells you something, something's not going well, because if they are, if, if it's just a, if it's simple dyslexia or simple reading disorder, um, they should also have the supports in the school necessary to learn at the same pace as the others, as, as the typically functioning children. So it's not a bad idea ever to go to start with your school. Um, however, going privately will, um, cover a lot more bases earlier on if that if if if, if that tracks so when i was in new york city i had a girlfriend that did not want to her son was at a private school mm-hmm. and she refused to even i mean he was on a spectrum autistic and she did not want it to go like into his you know school file so she did everything okay. privately which to me if the child you know there shouldn't be any shame Mm-hmm. in that and then if, if they're not going to I don't want people I don't want to say label them but if they're not going to identify it how can they give him the resources to help mm-hmm. him be successful oh absolutely well and, and first I want to kind of demystify the idea of the permanent record <laughs> there's no such yeah. thing as a permanent record your you know your kids you know kindergarten grades do not go to college with them your kids experience in elementary school don't go to college, you know, they, they, they got detention on Tuesday for biting Sally. That's not going to college with them. That's not going on their record to college. And I think that's something really important to understand. And I think what you said is that like, you have professionals who are spending, you know, up to eight hours a day with your child. And if they don't know, that child has um, a disability, whether it's autism or dyslexia or diabetes, like you would share diabetes, you would share um, right. a traumatic brain injury with, with the school. Why would you not share something that the school could potentially help with? Or if it's not the right setting for your child, because they're unable to provide the support that your child needs. And that, you know, so, um, the idea of the permanent record, for example, um, I just, you know, you can 
provide, have testing for your child. And that, it, that, remember, that's also protected information. It's protected health information. It is not to be shared with anybody without your permission. So a school, like a high school, cannot send your report to a college if you're applying to a college unless you say, okay, that's what I want to happen. So this idea that it, you know, it will, it will stigmatize this child in some way is kind of, you know, a backwards way of thinking. We want to help children help move them forward. So they don't fall behind anymore. Yeah. You know, that their disability or, you know, their medical condition doesn't prevent them from falling behind. That is so profound. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I'm just, wow. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. And, um, okay. So let's do a little shift over to ADHD. Okay. Not going to have an ADHD moment. No. Um, but yeah, (laughs) so what would you like to share with us about that? Because one of my children with, um, his, (laughs) with along with his mathematical genius mind comes as challenges. Um, so we have the gift and there's a challenge diagnosed with Asperger's and ADHD (laughs) and yeah. Interesting. So what do you want to share with us about that? Well, I think, um, just like you're talking about with Asperger's, which is on the, which is, um, on the autism spectrum, I think ADHD is also kind of, uh, you know, you can understand it along a spectrum and you can understand like there's severe, there's real severe cases and there are milder cases. Um, and that there's two different, actually there's three different kinds. There's the inattentive kinds, which focuses on intensive and that, you know, it's important to understand that inattentive, clinically inattentive children often tend to be overlooked in school um, because they they don't disrupt. They just they're 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 daydreamers. Their minds out the door, out the window, I should say. And because they're not disruptive, um, they don't get picked up. And those are typically girls. There are boys for sure, but typically um, girls tend to be more ADHD inattentive. That's not an absolute. There are certainly boys that are. And then the other aspect of ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, is the hyperactivity, the hyperactive impulsive hyperactive type. Um, and those are tend to be the disruptors, the, 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 you know, there was a great uh, Dennis the Menace cartoon years ago that I used to show parents where it's this picture of Dennis the Menace. And he's like, I've already done this before I even thought about it. I've already, you know, he's already completed it. He didn't even think about it. So it's like, you know, touching a, touching a hot stove or, you know, they're just impulsive. It's, 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 um, there's no thought that goes into some of the behavior they just do before they think. And then the third kind is really the combined type, which, you know, which the inattentive plus the hyperactive compulsive, I mean, impulsive. And then those, that together is kind of like the, the big part of ADHD. And yes, go on. No, no. We were going to ask a question. Yeah. So for the second one where they do without thinking, Mm -hmm. um, is there hope? What, you know, in addition to medications or yeah. Well, absolutely. So, um, so oftentimes with both, both kinds and the combined type, um, the, the, the research shows, you know, the, 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 research that I, that I, uh, that I was trained on shows that medication um, does, does a good job, but also therapy, behavioral therapy does a good job. And together they do the best job. 
So really it's, it's about, um, you know, and also, you know, just as a side note, and I think this is just common sense uh, with children, good sleeping habits, good eating, you know, good, really good nutrition and stability and predictable routines. Those are all beneficial to all children, but particularly for children with ADHD. So it's, yes, the medication and the behavioral therapy work, but having all that other stuff in the background, you know, is really going to give the best, um, the best outcomes. And so again, with, you know, in school, it's a teacher with clear boundaries, a teacher who said, you know, who, who, um, has clear expectations and, you know, and, uh, under and helps a child move through the day if they need reminders or if they need, sometimes a child just needs a, a quick tap on the desk to refocus, you know, um, as the teacher walks by or, says, little Johnny, you know, we're going to talk about elephants today. In about five minutes, I'm going to ask you, you know, what your favorite, you know, you know, uh, thing that an elephant does. And so that gives Johnny some time to think about what he's going to say. And so they have this, you know, so who's inattentive and type, so they're not just belting something out, you give them a little bit of time. Now you don't give them too much time because they might forget that they were supposed to think about something, but you know, you, you know, those are little strategies in the classroom for younger kids, obviously, but it can also be good for older kids in high school where the chemistry teacher, you know, pulls, um, you know, Matthew up to the front of the room and says at the beginning of class or sends Matthew an email the night before, this is what we're going to be talking about in math. And there we're going to, I'm going to ask you to do a problem on the board, or I'm going to ask you to explain a problem or something, knowing that they're capable of doing the problem. So why don't you work it out tonight so that you can have success tomorrow? You know, there are things you can do that showcases how kids are just, these kids are just as bright as other things. They just have some other things interfering with what I like to say, getting your smart out, you know, just like they can get, they, they're smart, but they just can't get it out. I love that. Getting your smart out. And this is the first time I've ever heard of, and this is just me though, about doing therapy for ADHD. Is this something that's been around for 20 years? It's behavior therapy. It's behavior therapy. It's like teaching kids what, um, what they should do when, you know, you know, that there's, you know, a consequence to your behavior. If you do this, this is going to happen. So what can you do to not do this, you know, this thing, you know, and, 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 and it just, and, and, basically you put all of these kind of external, um, what did we used to like to call it? Um, no, they're, they're not external. It's like a scaffolding. You know, when you think about building a building, when you build a building, you have all the, and you know, because you've been in New York city, you see all the, and you have to walk underneath all the scaffolding that supports the building of the building. When the building's built, you remove the scaffolding and you were in, you know, and so in that sense, it's the same thing for kids with reading disorders or kids with ADHD is like, you put all these external supports. So eventually they internalize that support and they, and as they mature, they can do it on their own. They don't need some somebody telling you what to do, or they don't need some reminders, or they don't, you know, they've learned how to, how to take those external supports and, and, and turn them into the way it works best for them inside of that to be successful. Right. And where do you come in, in this process, 
do you do testing yourself? Yes. Do you work with treatment aspects? Well, I have, I've done it all in my, in my career. I've done counseling and therapy and testing and worked in hospitals and psychiatric hospitals, regular outpatient hospitals. I've done all of that um, with kids, specifically with kids and some adults along the way, but mostly with kids. And that's, I like the kids the best. Um, However, but my specialty and what I really like to do the most is testing um, and testing, uh, you know, from young, a young age. And I can do adult testing as long as it's related to education, you know, some education, because that's where my specialty is. And, um, and I can't, I, I, I'm not doing therapy or counseling currently, but, you know, you know, never say never, you know, I'm in a new state, things exactly. are, you know, I'm, 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 I'm open to, to all things, but, um, you know, and I, I'd like to be able to go, you know, I think there's some real value in working with preschools and doing early screeners to kind of just, you know, get a sense so that parents and schools know, again, again, going back to what I was saying for specifically for reading that kind of double dosing who who's at risk, who might need a little push that might that's that might be all they need. That might be all they need. So why wouldn't you screen? Yeah, early on. Right. And I'm having an idea pop in my head about Piggy Bear's power of, you know, <laughs> rhyming and, yeah. you know, to help. Like, why not? Because the sooner we can be more proactive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and, and just on, on just on on that about you, just going back to one of the questions that you had about when, you know, when to, to know this stuff, a lot of times and it, it's it's well within the school's purview is that typically in typical schools, all of our kids are reading, uh, learning to read. They spend kindergarten, first, second grade, learning to read. And that's the focus. It's learning to read. And third grade is a big shift. Third grade is reading reading to learn. So if your reading isn't up to speed by the time you hit third grade, you're going to struggle to learn from your reading. So a lot of times in schools, that's when um, it gets picked up. But there are earlier signs is what I'm saying. And that to me is the important piece. There are earlier signs. Amazing. And I thought I knew it all. Wow. (laughs) With my 20, yeah. And I don't mean that. Yeah. Um, And what is the best way for our friends out there to get in touch with you? Well, I have a practice called Levine Assessment and Learning and I'm in um, Newport Beach and I have a website called, you can get, get in touch with me through my website just through the contact or the phone number on the website, the, you know, there's like a little contact um, button um, and it's called Levine assessment and learning.com. Levine L E V I N E N E assessment and learning.com or Levine assessment. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll give wow. it to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for sure. And are you on social media at all? No, I'm not. Not yet. I just started yet, my practice. Let me tell here. you what, Right. You, it was such a following because you're such a wealth of information. Um, Jordana, Dr. Jordana, it's been such a pleasure having you today. Thank you for having and me. And to all of our friends watching and listening and to you, never forget that you are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I had a really wonderful time talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. 
If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.